Hello, I'm Viv Groskop, writer, journalist, stand-up comedian and proud veteran of a two-week digital detox and this is We Are Women. We Are Women is the Mint Velvet podcast. It's all about the experience of being a woman, which frankly often includes men and children and, you know, books and sunshine and shoes and everything, really. We refuse to limit ourselves, particularly because this month we're talking about freedom. The freedom that comes from lounging poolside on your summer holiday, but also the tiny freedoms we create every day inside our own heads and hearts. We'll hear from Connie Huck. If something makes you happy in yourself, then that can only be a good thing. And if everyone's doing it, we'll have a happier, much better society. From Anna Hart. The clarity of mind and the freedom that you feel when you just have a small suitcase away with you, that all adds to the impact of a holiday. And from Rebecca Holman. The way in which clothes bring me joy is when the clothes let you be your best self. And because we won't be constrained by anything as square as a format, let me introduce you to our two studio guests right now. Connie Huck is an incredibly versatile television presenter and writer. She's equally at home presenting the award-winning Penguin Books podcast or shows like Top of the Pops and The Extra Factor. She's just signed a three-book publishing deal and nobody except me feels any need these days to recall ever so fondly that she was, of course, the longest-serving female presenter of Cult Kids show Blue Peter, my favourite. I'm still very nostalgic about that. And we also have Anna Hart, a writer whose work on travel, lifestyle and culture has appeared everywhere from Stylist to the Wall Street Journal. Her frank and very funny book is out now. It's called Departures, A Guide to Letting Go, One Adventure at a Time. And it's a memoir about the power of travel to transform us, challenge us and heal us. Welcome, Connie and Anna. Hello. Hello. How are you feeling full of the vibes of freedom? We are. Yeah, Anna, the image on your front of uh, front of your book, show us, you've got it with mm-hmm, us. I do. Uh, it's uh, the Instagram epitome of summer freedom, uh, jumping into a pool, wearing a... No, jumping into a, a lake. It's a lake in Guatemala. Le- mm-hmm. In This Is You? <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah, my God. Great. Wow. It's a great photo. In a red bikini. Mm. It was one of those flukes of a photo. This was my first ever trip that I did as Stylist Magazine's travel editor about three years ago. And I was just trying to get onto Instagram. And I think my friend... Gizzy might have taken it and it was just it was just a fluke I leapt into this lake in casually Guatemala. mentioning Gizzy Erskine <laughs> famous <laughs> cookery writer and TV presenter I mean it was basically like shadowing a social media superstar she was like you gotta get your ass on Instagram when you, you know, literally did in that and bikini I, and I have and now my ass is on a bit wow so that image and the idea that you had this amazing new job that took you to these incredible places is that what freedom represents for you I mean, I've I've always associated uh, freedom with with travel, as far as a really grand gesture of freedom goes. You don't um, have to hold the book up for the entire travel. podcast, by the way, but you could. <laughs> it's quite shall, cool. I'll rest my elbows. Um, I think as a grand gesture of freedom, travel is really up there, and it's certainly something that I I feel like women cherish as a privilege that we haven't always had, and particularly solo female travel. Men have always, you know, been travelling and writing travel books for for centuries. Um, But really, it's only since the Victorian era onwards that you get female travel writers. And even then, there are pretty few and far between for, for decades. 
Mm. And, you know, I was mentioning about this idea of tiny moments of freedom, because mm. I know, you know, for me, speaking as a mother of three yeah. children, it's not always easy to think, oh, I'm going to put on my bikini and go to Guatemala. I mean, yeah. what are the moments where you can't travel in your day to day life that you manage to find a little bit of freedom for yourself? Well, that, that was one of the reasons why I moved from London to, to Margate, to be by the seaside. Um and just living in Margate has enabled me to just take 40 minutes out of my day, run down, jump in the sea. And I just feel like I've had my little sliver of adventure and nature and restored my sanity. And I can, yeah, be back at my laptop within an hour. Um, so I, I would say that if my 20s were all about going far and and making grand trips and, and having a huge bucket list. And my 30s are much more about trying to insert adventure into the everyday. Uh, it doesn't need to be something that's expensive. You don't need to take three months off. And it doesn't need to be a huge macho display of, of strength and stamina. Mm, love that. Connie, you've got two children under the age of six. Is an adventure for you having a cup of tea on your own? Yeah, <laughs> totally. An adventure is being here even. You know, <laughs> leaving the house. Until like the end of last year, I had sort of been full-time mumming for five years. Wow. Yeah. And like any time when I was doing jobs, it would be a sort of real juggling Act. Yeah. I mean, most mums will know sometimes freedom is just being able to go to the toilet with the door closed. <laughs> that is a holiday. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's stealing those. How big moments. a transition was it in your life to becoming a parent? Were you working very, very hard full time, doing a lot of TV work? It must have been a huge transition. You know what? Before you have kids, people say, oh, you better get all your sleep in and all of this stuff. And you think, yeah, yeah. There's people that have five kids. There's women in India working the fields with babies strapped to their backs. There's, you know, teenage mothers. There's people people with triplets how hard can it be everyone has kids and then you have them and you go oh my gosh it really is the whole thing of sleep deprivation and all the other forms of torture that they inflict (laughs) on us um so yeah it was totally mind-blowingly different there's been jobs like I remember I don't know filling in for instance I was um uh, presenting the one show I remember I had to Still do drop off and pick up because it was a half day because my kid was in nursery then. Then, you know, I had to go home, put their lunch all out for them and everything. Then my husband took over or whatever. And then I went and I thought, okay, I'm free, hurrah, hurrah. And they'd waited up for me after I came off air. And I was just like, no, the one day that I'm like, it's just so annoying. Now, though, things are cranking up a bit, though, because by next year you'll have both children in full-time school. Mm. And you've just signed this amazing book deal, which is Mm. books for kids featuring madcap science projects. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Uh, Where did that idea come from? Is that inspired by your own childhood, by your kids? Oh, I have a science background. So I was doing science A-levels. I was going to be an engineer before I sort of found my way into telly. Weirdly, so I got my job as a presenter by lying about my age. I went to these open auditions because I just saw an ad. For Blue Peter? No, this was for a sort of pop music programme that was on cable and satellite. So you were sort of 16, 17, pretending to be 18. So they got me a pager. This is before mobile phones because that's how (laughs) old I am. And I would like interview Take That and East 17 and in like free periods. They're like, oh, yeah. So it's kind of... You juggled like a high-flying media career Multitasking. We are women. We are women. (laughs) Wow. Have you ever felt that that was the road less travelled for you? It is the year of engineering and there's a lot of talk about STEM at the moment and the lack of women engineers and trying to get 
uh, young girls interested in sciences, do you sort of think, oh, I wish I'd never had to interview East 17 and I could have done my advanced maths A-level and become a brilliant engineer? Um no. East 17 are totally yeah. worth it. Yeah, East 17. Are you dissing East 17, Viv? <laughs> no, Honestly, how can you? Yeah, you guys are some dissing engineering. I mean, when when you, you can love East 17 and engineering. The two are, the two are mutually exclusive. Um, no, so I never regret it because I love my job. And I, but then who knows? I might have loved engineering more. You just don't know. As regular listeners will know, I always ask us a question which we come back to at the end. So this time um, I want to ask you both what's the biggest risk you have ever taken which did pay off? Mm. And what's the risk which didn't pay off? I can already feel the pain of my own answer coming there. I'll leave that with you while we dip into the shimmering pool of knowledge we are slowly distilling like cold brew coffee when we ask each of our guests, what advice would you give to another woman? My name is Vicky Pavitt. I'm the co-founder of Project Love. And the advice I give to another woman is to know that you're exactly where you need to be in times of struggle or if you're going through a tough time to remind yourself that you're exactly where you need to be. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Flexter. I'm a musician. And the advice I would give to another woman or my younger self would be that being cool is overrated. I think once you realise that, it frees you up from a lot of how you make your decisions. And yeah, it's okay to be a bit embarrassing sometimes. It's just better to have lived than not lived, I think. My name is Otega Yuagba and I'm a writer, brand consultant and the founder of Women Who. And my advice to other women would be to ask for what you want. I really sincerely believe if you don't ask, you don't get. Thank you, Vicky, Sophie and Otega. If you would like to hear your name on that list, please get in touch. Come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page or tweet at Mint Velvet and tell us your advice for another woman. But first, Anna, talk to me a bit more about your book. You said that Mm. travel is the luxury of choice for your generation. Can you expand a bit on that? Yeah, I do believe so. I mean, my generation, we don't really expect to have a flashy sports car or a golf club membership or a big house in the suburbs, Um, partly because that dream has died a little bit. We saw our parents or grandparents go for it and and saw that it didn't really deliver happiness, but also because it's just been actually pushed completely beyond our means by the economic situation. Uh, However, I do feel like travel feels like a, a way that we can up our cultural capital. It feels like something we can do to improve ourselves, Social media has really, really upped the ante there as well. We get major bragging rights from every trip we go on. And it's really, I think we try and find our personality by by how we travel. I'm really interested in this distinction between what when you talk about the bragging rights mm-hmm. and the idea that people want to showcase their life traveling, yeah. which I can really see a lot people doing this, and the idea that they're traveling to get away from the universe where you need bragging rights. People want to get away from digital. They want to rest. They want to relax. They want to uh, recharge their batteries. To me, there's a real disconnect there. Yeah, there, I mean, there absolutely is. That is a that is a problem facing travel today, being hijacked or, or hopelessly compromised by by social media and and one upmanship. As someone who really believes that travel should be should be a, a holiday 
from rules and repression and routine um, and travel should be about freedom, I, I do worry that we're we're limiting ourselves. We're, we're, we're kind of creating unfreedom in how we, we, we travel. Mm, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Connie, how's your relationship with social media? I wasn't on any social media until about two years ago. And honestly, I, I'm one of these people. So I can't sit and relax and watch telly if there's toys all over the floor where my, my <gasps> oh, husband... Will you come and live in my house? Oh, and weirdly, when I got on social media, if I tweet something and people reply, I feel the need to like answer the question if they're putting something back because that's why questions are asked, to answer. Oh, so it's you know? like clutter and so, for you. Yeah, so mm. basically then I was suddenly like, oh, I don't want to tweet anything because I haven't got the time. You know, nappies were going unchanged, vomit was going on, wiped <laughs> up. And it, I, it was just too all-encompassing. So I, I sort of only really use it for work. This may not be a relevant question for you, but the, the very much the question of the moment is about Facebook and Google searches for delete Facebook recently spiked to a five-year high in the yeah, US. Would you, you're not? Are you not on Facebook at all, Connie? I've never been on Facebook, <gasps> and I'm not on it. But I think it's absolutely appalling sharing private information. It's just even things like residence parking permits, everything that's a bit of bureaucracy makes me feel like less free as an individual. Anna, would you ever hit delete on your social media? I wouldn't actually. I mean, I, I certainly share all of the concerns about social media, particularly, I mean, the whole Facebook situation at the moment. However, I I don't believe in going completely cold turkey. I think really what we need to do is manage is, it. Is manage yeah, it, I agree. You know, develop disciplines, codes of practices, either for ourselves or else that perhaps they could be like workplace-wide. I so agree. You know what? Because if you... It, it doesn't always have to be all or nothing. Mm. If you manage it, yeah. like exactly like Anna was saying, then it's fine. It's just, if, if it's making you feel rubbish, then change the way you're using it. Mm. Well, I'd, I've just done two weeks completely offline and with no phone, Facebook, social media, internet, nothing. Um, well, it was amazing, and I was. I think I became a different person. And wow. my kids said, like, we much prefer you when you're not oh, checking wow. your phone the whole time. Was there a feeling of like? oh, I might be missing out on something. Um, there wasn't. I really did feel quite free. Liberating. And by the end of the two weeks, I'd realised it really didn't matter. Yeah. There yeah. really wasn't anything. But as you say, Anna, I think it's about balance. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to be the really big challenge for me now. The way we were, we're behaving around social media is a bit like we're all 14. We've just discovered booze for the first time <laughs> and we don't know how to handle it. And it's really about about developing habits, working out what, what, what works for you and what doesn't. And yeah. just becoming healthier. And Stop drinking the Thunderbird. So that's the advice to myself. The Thunderbird. Time now to hear from Rebecca Holman. Rebecca is the editor of The Debrief, the award-winning digital brand for millennial women and author of Beta, a fascinating book which argues that, in fact, quiet girls can run the world. We chatted to Rebecca for our feature, My Life in Clothes, which is all about how our clothes tell our stories. For me, it's about demonstrating to other people who I am, as opposed to pretending to be someone different. Clothing is so much about work and playing the role I feel like I need to play. It's about finding a middle ground where it reflects my personality and who I am, but also makes me look professional and like I know what I'm doing and makes me feel like I know what I'm doing. I think if you feel like you're a really beta woman in the workplace, you've got to 
wear the clothes that make you feel like you're amazing at your job and you're confident and you're in control. Kind of trying to put on a uniform that isn't you, I don't think is necessarily that helpful. Only you know what, you know, what is the outfit that makes you feel amazing and makes you walk into that room and know you're meant to be there. In my book, I wrote about how women have far less latitude to just ignore fashion. Michelle Obama, a great example of someone who, especially as First Lady, would have had so much on her plate and so much to think about, and yet people really cared whether she was wearing Jason Wu or Target that day. And in some ways, I think that could be really restrictive, and it takes away freedom to just focus on the matters at hand. But on the other hand, she had a whole other toolkit for expressing herself and making a statement. And I think that's where the freedom comes in. Having a really like well-put-together outfit that is perfect for that moment and makes you feel great, it's the extra 10%, isn't it? You can do all the other 90% of things, but if you do that, you've nailed the cherry on top. And I think that's where your wardrobe and your clothes can bring you incredible amounts of freedom at work. Okay, so um, first thing I have are my, my Gucci loafers. So I bought these with my book advance and I love them. I absolutely love them. They are black suede, with kind of a tassel on the front. They're kind of, I see them a lot, um, but I like that about them. I like the fact that I see other women noticing them on the tube. And I think it is like, it's like a secret handshake. She knows what they are. I know that she knows what they are. We both acknowledged it and I feel great about that. I don't feel bad about buying them. I don't feel like they were this insanely like frivolous purchase I don't deserve, although my mum might disagree if she's listening. Incidentally, I've never admitted to my mum that they're Gucci and she doesn't know. But like, I felt like I earned those writing the book and I kind of every time I look at them, I remember why, why I've got them. Next, got my yoga pants. Um, basically, I bought these last year and I still maintain they're the best things I bought last year. And that includes my wedding dress. But I've also got really into yoga. And when I say I've got into it, I'm really bad at it, but I love it. And it's one of the few things that really clears my head, really gives me focus. I may never be able to touch my toes, but it's been kind of quite transformative in terms of just like letting me get on with the task at hand when I'm at work and not worrying about it too much when I'm not at work. And when I put them on, I instantly feel like I'm in a different zone. It's quite a weird thing, but these like these yoga pants actually like really just um, they they make me feel different. I can't explain it. I'm instantly more chilled out. So the next thing is my wedding dress. So I got married last year, and I went to a like a bridal boutique thing, and I had to wear all these like weird support underwear and like hoops and things to try. Every- it was just so weird and came out like being like, I'm absolutely not a wedding dress person. And then I just went into a whistle store and they just launched a like bridal collection, tried on a few different dresses. And the second I put my dress on, I knew it was absolutely the perfect thing. And I took it home that day and that was that done. It's sleeveless, but it's got quite a lot of sort of detailing around the top. And then the bottom half is quite narrow, tiered pleats on the bottom. Before I got married and before I met my husband, I used to write a lot about being single and dating and relationships. And I think one thing I never considered was that being in a relationship could be an amazing thing for your career. I always felt that friends who were 
married or in long-term relationships were being kind of were holding something back and were kind of being held back a bit from like really achieving everything and being really ambitious. And what I realized when I met my husband was actually having someone who's like your biggest champion and your biggest supporter um, and like really like helping you, really encouraging you to push yourself is actually a really amazing thing. In terms of freedom in my career, being in that relationship has given me so much more latitude to sort of really push myself. I think the way in which clothes bring me joy is when the clothes in question enable you to pull the most joy out of any situation. So the clothes that let you be your best self at any given moment or enjoy something to its fullest potential and the clothes that I love the most are the ones that have allowed me to feel the most joy. Thank you to Rebecca Holman. We couldn't resist extending this feature to our studio guests. So Anna and Connie, what piece of clothing tells your story? I think for me, it's a pair of of boots. Uh, The DM boots that I got when I was 14, I was just carving out my identity as a little grunge kid. They kept me warm enough like through kind of cold Belfast nights drinking in the park and I could also wear them bare-legged at at festivals like Reading and Glastonbury uh, in the summer. And I've still got them and they still fit me and they just get better with age. And I never feel more powerful than when I'm wearing those DM boots that I bought when I was 14. Black, black yeah, ones. Oh. classic, black. and you still have them. Yeah, I still have them. Wow. I've, I've taken out the tie dye laces that I had through most <laughs> of the nineties. I have to ask: Does it have the yellow yellow stitching? It does. Yeah. It still has the yellow stitching. Oh yes. my gosh! Yeah, I had a pair the bouncing cells. Connie, what piece of clothing tells your um, story? Do you know what? This is just testament to how boring and non I am. But grey mall t shirt. <laughs> It's so comfy. It's kind of got bally. With age, it's sort of looked classier and sloggier. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I've also had it since year dot. I've had quite a. I've got quite a lot of clothes from when I was fourteen. But I just. I don't know. I just love that t-shirt. I've grown quite, grown quite fond and sentimental mm. of I that think t-shirt. It's actually an E seventeen t-shirt. <laughs> oh, they they <laughs> didn't even exist then. Them. That's how far back that t-shirt goes. It's pre East seventeen. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And a clothes and travel both offer this illusion of being able to change your life, that special promise that I'm constantly buying into one way or another. <laughs> Do you think that's an illusion or is it something that really does sort of pay back what it promises? I, I believe that actually women are quite often told that beauty or fashion or travel or almost anything that a woman will do to try and improve her, her life or, or give herself a boost is, is trivial. And, and I really just refuse to be shamed for doing anything that makes me feel a bit better. People should do what makes them happy. Anna's hit it on the head. If something makes you happy in yourself internally, then that can only be a good thing. And actually, as long as it doesn't inflict any harm on others, if everyone's doing it, we'll have a happier, much better society and people won't be competing with each other for happiness. They'll just be happy in themselves. I'm going all... No, I like this, but you're someone who's uh, been in the public eye ever since you lied about your age so that you could interview you 17. Um, Do you feel... Sorry, it's just I've become obsessed with it. It's me. Um, I went to the house, you know. Stop it. I interviewed... Yeah, in Wolfenstein. There was a flat, yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, I've, been, I've sat on their sofa and everything. Sorry, I digress, Carrie. Okay. Um, you've <clears> had <throat> to sort of grow up in that public eye um, and um, your partner is Charlie Brooker, who's also very well known and, mm. you know, you are a media power couple, if I may say so. <laughs> Do you feel pressure sometimes to exude the image that's supposed to come with that? Well, we're both very anti—not anti-social, but when we're we're not very showbiz, you know, we're sort of like staying in and watching a box set. Um, I'm boring and have a grey mall t-shirt. That's my favourite piece of clothing. <laughs> You're living up so, your memories. Yeah, Anna, you've had to grapple with some of these questions as well because you've written a memoir. Yeah. Uh, how did you decide how open to be in that and how much to show of yourself and how much to keep private? So for me, I, I always wanted to make sure that I would never shaft anybody else in my writing. I want to be the only person who comes across badly in, in anything I write. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite important to me. I just wanted to protect the people around me who I love. But I, I, I did think quite hard about truth. And the reason I wrote a book is because um, I feel like the travel journalism world, while I love it, uh, it is quite glossy and airbrushed and sometimes a little bit unrelatable. And so much of travel is unglamorous and, and clumsy and, you know, you mess up and make mistakes. And I really wanted to tell those stories um, and make it more personal. So so being truthful was really important to me in, in this book. Um, and really the only boundaries I set were don't hurt anybody else. Connie, for you, what's the things that you set as boundaries? For me, I often think that it's about being selfish in inverted commas in a good way like this thing that I've just done uh, I did my digital detox for two weeks but that was about us going on holiday for two weeks as a family which we'd never done for a whole two weeks and actually my kids absolutely hated it and after the first week they said we just want to go home now what's wrong with you <laughs> where's my iPad mummy <laughs> exactly the wifi signal is not very strong here you're a bad parent uh, and I was like no I needed to go away for two weeks that's my thing. Yeah. I'm sorry, but this is it. What's your selfish thing, Connie? <sighs> I'm such an unselfish person, Viv. Um, <laughs> what's my selfish thing? Well, any woman who carves out a career, you're making constant selfish decision after selfish decision. I mean, I would I would take issue with the word selfish, but, I mean, but self-interested. So we did this psychometric testing once, I remember from work, and I was like, what am I? Am I type A? Am I a leader? Or am I type B? Am I a this? And I, I was type E, which is a facilitator. And I was like, what? I'm a facilitator. And I just want harmony within the group, apparently. So I am, you know, I said it before, but I'm boring and wet, basically. So so maybe that's why yeah, I'm not selfish in any way, shape or form. I'm type E. I'm a facilitator. The facilitator is the person everyone wants to live with and be with. So enjoy it, Connie. It does seem as if spring is maybe finally here and who knows, summer may even put in an appearance which brings with it summer holidays and parties and weddings which are supposed to be fun but can be whirlwinds of stress. Anna, so tell us your top tips for a stress-free summer. I'm really anti the idea that you have to find some sort of like new destination and discover things entirely on your own. It's possible to find peace and quiet and adventure in quite a popular destination. So don't feel like you have to literally be jetting off to the Amazon um, to, to get that sense of adventure. I have a bit of a theory that when we travel, we either assume the role of director or producer. And I'm quite a fan 
of of allocating these roles. And so I'm very much a director. I have, I'm a creative visionary. I know the overall uh, plot of the holiday, where we should be going. Um, but I'll always leave up to other people that the logistics, which is like train times, making sure everything syncs up. And I think generally in any group, whether it's a family, a, a couple or a group of friends, you'll have someone who's happy to be producer and someone who's happy to be director. Something that I think makes travel a lot less stressful is if you really plan to make the, the journey part of your holiday. And this can be as simple as planning to eat at a really nice pub on your drive up to the Lake District. The travelling bit of travel shouldn't always be this horrific ordeal that you just wish over. So I know in your book you write about the idea of suitcase zen. Mm-hmm. Could you explain to us what that represents? I think quite often when we go on holiday and uh, life seems simpler and we feel more free, um, one really underrated uh, factor is that we've come away with much, much less stuff. You know, we d- we're not surrounded by the, the clutter that we are at home. Just the, the clarity of mind and the freedom that you feel when you just have a small suitcase away with you and your clothes all fit in the wardrobe, that all adds to the impact of a holiday. So I, I'm a big believer in, in keeping things simple when you go away. Um, and then hopefully that's something we can carry home as well with us, you know, just embracing suitcase-grade simplicity uh, in our everyday lives. I like that. Now, finally, let's answer the questions I asked at the beginning, which I think this is going to be quite hard for me to answer personally. So Mm. what's the biggest risk you've taken which has paid off and the one that hasn't? And I feel as if for me it's the same answer to both questions, Mm. (laughs) which is doing stand-up comedy. (laughs) So I started doing stand-up comedy in 2009 and... In some ways, it's completely paid off and has been completely amazing. But in other ways, it hasn't paid off in the way that I would want in that it just keeps on getting harder and harder the longer that you do it. Let's leave it there because it's probably a whole other therapy (laughs) session. Um, Yeah, but that was a massive risk, but it was also too big a risk for me to not take because it was making me really depressed to not be doing the thing I really, really wanted to do. Yeah, Anna, for you, what was a big risk that you took that paid off? Well, certainly a few years ago, I had what I thought was my, my dream job, which was um, the role of features editor at Stylist magazine. And I'd been commissioning editor at Grazia just before that. But I had realised that actually I was much more of a writer than an editor. And I always thought I wanted to be editor of a magazine by the age of 35. And I had to totally abandon that old ambition because I realised it wasn't actually going to make me happy. And so it did pay off and I have managed to pay the bills. So I'm really proud of myself for, for sticking with it. And a risk that didn't pay off. I think that's quite hard mm, to think of yes. risks that don't pay off. Because you I, don't kind of always know. I think you don't admit them to yourself almost. Mm. Well, there was this time when I was 19 and mountain biking and I thought I could kind of pop the front wheel up into a <laughs> out of a rat. I couldn't. I came off and broke my hip when I was 19. Spent about nine months recovering. Went back to university on a Zimmer frame, which is how everybody wants to come back on second year. Wow. Um, But that is good (laughs) risk-taking. I like it. Wow, that's a great answer. Connie... I had to decide whether to sort of not Mm. go into engineering. It turned into what I've done for the rest of my life. So that was a big risk that paid off. Um, A risk that didn't pay off was maybe... So, because I was doing science A-levels, but I loved sort of performing and acting stuff. I was in the National Youth Music Theatre and I get sore throats really easily. 
and I had soft nodules and I could have had, and I probably still could have an operation to remove them. And I didn't want to have an operation. And actually my voice got so bad that I've, I lost the sort of top range wow. of, yeah. Extraordinary. Mm. I think Julie Andrews has had that operation. Ah, uh, she yeah. Yeah. Yes. Good yeah. knowledge. Nice yeah. to keep her top range. Well, we're sorry <laughs> that you lost your top range. Yeah. There, yeah. Connie. Yeah. Top range. Those were great I, What answers. I want to know is, could I get it back? I should look into that, actually. Well, could you have the operation and recover your top range? Now, or is it too late? Sounds years. like a now documentary to me. <laughs> yeah. Reality TV, Holly <laughs> Kirk learns to sing again. Her opera dream would never die. <laughs> That's all for now. We'll be back next month, but in the meantime, there's loads more summer stuff on the Mint Velvet site. Whether you're looking for tips on how to pack your suitcase, need a margarita recipe, or fancy browsing your holiday wardrobe. And of course, please feel free, see what I did there, to tweet at Mint Velvet or come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page and tell us your thoughts on the podcast. Do subscribe and please rate and review us. Particular thanks this time to lovely Gemma FL, who's a special fan of episode 10, which was about self-care. She says it has a real feel-good factor and really offers thought-provoking ideas to have your mind ticking all day. Have a listen and let us know what you think. My thanks to our guests, Connie Huck, Anna Hart and Rebecca Holman. We Are Women is a Whistledown production for Mint Velvet. The producer is Kate Taylor. I'm Viv Groskop. Thanks for listening and goodbye. 